Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. So it goes without saying we won't be going over any red letters. Nothing Jesus had to say. Jesus's input as far as his quotes don't start until the New Testament. And that's a long way away from here. Thousands of years between where we're at here and where Jesus makes his appearance. Uh, but we go over the Old Testament to get a better understanding of why we should lean in to the red letters and what it is Jesus has to say. And this chapter today has the last couple of chapters have shown about slavery being apparently uh, OK with God, which makes no sense since he just went through all that dramatic emancipation ceremony of releasing the Israelites from slavery. Yet we are reading codes of how to treat your slaves. So it makes no sense at all that this would be from God Almighty. It may be from some other entity people are identifying as God or worshiping as God, but it really seems highly unlikely or even hypocritical for it to be God Almighty to go through all that with the Exodus uh, narrative and Passover and then turn around and permit uh, slave people to be owned and as slaves and treated that way but this is only the beginning as it gets pretty let's just see exodus 23 verse 1 here we go you shall not circulate a false report do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness so that's pretty cut and dry don't make up things about people and uh don't circulate it we know that that's not uh adhered to in america even though it claims to be a god-fearing nation since there are no karen laws uh, no nationwide karen laws and there's no uh punishment for corrupt police who are paid to protect and serve and then when they don't protect and serve but instead murder or harass or torment or terrorize at the worst, it seems, generally speaking, especially when it comes to the victim being black, the worst that happens to them is they lose their job. And we've seen only in the last, very recently, where even convictions, which are rare, happen. And um, that's the, the American ju so-called justice system. So where false reports are completely allowed and even endorsed. Verse 2, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. So it's saying don't go with the crowd for the wrong purpose. For instance, January 6th, don't go, uh, but not just there. There's, You see it again and again with these bathroom bills and the don't say gay bill and all sorts of other bills that are designed to torment and persecute and oppress a class of people that are already oppressed and tormented and treated as second-class citizens because it's easier to torment and pick on the weak rather than to face the challenge of dealing with the mighty, the powerful, and the corruption that they wield. Uh, but again, that's America. And where the they'll thump the Bible and say, oh, I'm living by the Old Testament and the New, when they aren't doing either. Because this is in the Old Testament telling you not to do those things, and yet those things get done regularly. Verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So it's saying just because someone is poor and disadvantaged, don't um, show them partiality. Don't, um, don't, uh, what's the word? Don't, um, I guess partiality is the word. Don't 
show favoritism. That's it. Don't show favoritism to someone just because their uh, status in life is uh, poor. Of course, you know, that that's the one thing America doesn't mind doing. The poor have it hard in this country. If you don't have money, you're almost certainly going to be uh, treated unfavorably and looked at uh, with partiality, but not in your favor, in favor of those who do have the haves versus the have nots. Verse four, if you need, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him again. You shall surely bring it back to him again. So, um, if you want to interpret this strictly as it's written, then you just have to say oxes and donkeys, cows and uh, livestock, just those, just those two specifically. But I don't think it's saying um, those two specifically. I think it's saying, generally speaking, if you're a, a neighbor's animal, your neighbor's property, your neighbor's livestock, your neighbor's goods are in danger. Or as it says, going astray, your neighbor's pet going astray, then you should intervene and help. Um, but if you want to in- interpret it strictly, then just donkeys and oxes, which uh, most Americans don't have. So uh, in this sense, it's talking it's talking about property rights, but it's also saying uh, it's alluding to what Jesus says, alluding to what Jesus says as far as going the extra mile. Um, although you'll we'll, we'll keep reading, you see how it differs from what Jesus says. Verse five, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So, I mean, human nature, or at least my nature would be to, if I see my enemy, someone who hates me even, um, struggling with any burden, um, I wouldn't be out uh, in a hurry to go lift a finger to help them. That's just honest. But it's saying here, you are to do that and you are to help your enemy, even one who hates you, if you see them in need. But if you want to interpret it strictly as it's written, then you don't have to help your enemy, say if their car is broken down or their house is on fire. If you want to interpret it strictly, only wait until your enemy's donkey or the one who hates you uh, is hurt and lying under that burden. So I guess that would be the loophole to get out of it, to ignore your enemy's uh, needs because it's not a donkey. You could, And you could say, oh, it just says specifically donkey. So I guess that would be the loophole out of it. But in reality, as Christians, what Jesus says is, you know, turn the other cheek. So this is this whole chapter seems to be um, a, a contrast to Christianity and to what Jesus tells us to do. And we went over that reading in the uh, we went over that topic in the recent reading on our Saturday night readings, where we focus on what Jesus has to say, um, the red letters, where Jesus does tell us about turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and whatnot. Um, you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. So now it's telling us just almost the opposite of what it just told us about uh, favoring the poor. Now it's saying don't pervert the judgment of your poor. So that means be fair. So uh, don't uh, discriminate against someone because they're indigent or unable to have uh, means like the rich do. But instead, be fair. Which, I mean, why wouldn't it just say that in the other verse also? But 
I guess this is letting you know on both sides, whether it's for the poor or against the poor, don't show partiality. Be fair. Verse 7, and we know that America doesn't do that again uh, also either because look how the rich are enable, are able to drag things out with the so-called justice system to the point where the statute of limitations is up. So then you can't charge them with anything. And you see an excellent example of that with the partiality with what's going on with Ukraine. They're not in NATO. They're not in the EU. And what they are in, though, is cahoots. You see what happened with the whole uh, media propaganda tour of quid pro quo just a few years ago with uh, the clown of uh, the previous president uh, and the alleged bribes that he offered to the Ukrainian president and the sham of a, a, a impeachment trial where you don't even call you don't call the witnesses you allow the witnesses to uh, just ignore the subpoenas and not show up and you don't even get a transcript of the so of the phone call between the defendant and uh, the Ukrainian president all of that is just suppressed not dug into and swept under the rug and moved on and yet we're to believe that it's justice for all it's not justice for all in this country at all it's it's justice it's it's swift justice if you're poor and that means punishment and it's sweep it under the rug and look the other way if you're rich especially if you're rich with the complexion for protection if you know what i mean uh verse seven keep yourself far from a false matter do not kill the innocent and righteous for i will not justify the wicked so speaking of the previous president 45 although the current one isn't doing much better as far as being honest or keeping his word or his campaign promises or any of that stuff or managing the affairs of the country neither one of them have done well at all and yet you see false matters are embraced by this country especially among the politicians because like i just said why wouldn't you just have a transcript of the conversation between the ukrainian president and the united states president it's because you're not interested in finding the truth and that goes for the democrats as well as the republicans you know the republicans aren't interested in it but the democrats who held the trial had every ability to uh, compel witnesses to testify or lock them up for contempt didn't do it they have every they have every ability to order the transcripts because there had to be some because there were two different languages being spoken so there had to be a middleman or middle person to interpret so that has to also be a record of that and yet that wasn't called forward either and now you see what's happening with russia and ukraine the, the, the ukrainian president has shown himself to be manipulable malleable by other forces in not coming forward with what was going on with the previous president so then of course the russian president takes advantage of that and steam rolls over it so can you blame him obviously i don't think what he's doing is uh uh I don't think what he's doing is so different than the same thing America did in steamrolling over the Native Americans and taking their property and claiming it as their own. Uh, and yet, it's a false matter and uh, America runs to it and kills the innocent and righteous and lets the guilty and corrupt go free. Verse 8. 
And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. So that's exactly what it does. It pays you to look the other way. And a bribe is the same thing as that quid pro quo that they beat a dead horse telling you about a couple of years ago, but did nothing at all to uh, prevent, stop or um, expose at all. And that, again, is both sides of the political spectrum in America. So it seems to me both sides are clearly committed to white supremacy. As it goes without saying, if that had been Obama or even uh, Hillary Clinton doing those things, uh, it would be a very different outcome and a very different approach. Yet, because the previous president has the complexion for protection, he gets that protection and gets to keep rolling and even out now making crazy statements, inflammatory statements, even sometimes outright lies and provoking people to do things like January 6th. And yet he's still walking free. And the people who did it, who followed the command are the ones and not even all of them who are dealing with the consequences of it. I think they said four or five hundred. There were thousands there that day. And if it's Another crime situation, even being a part of the crowd would get you in the same trouble as the crowd. It's felony murder, for instance. If you're taking part in the crime that causes the the in the felony, then you're also convicted or, you know, uh, you're also considered guilty of the crime, even if you're not the one who did it, if someone loses their life. And if I remember right, five people lost their life that day. And yet you see all of that just being ignored because, again, they have the right complexion for this seemingly evil system. Um, verse nine. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger for, you know, the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So it's it's saying here it's talking specifically to the uh, children of Israel because they were in Egypt, in Africa for 400 plus years. They weren't slaves that whole time, but they were strangers at first. And then they at some point became slaves and at this point were freed from the slavery. So it seems to me this verse is telling people to remember where you were. And yet you see again, this is ignored in America because it weren't it wasn't just black people who were enslaved in America. Other people were slaves also. They just had the right complexion, so they were able to join uh I'm sorry, gain their freedom at some point or buy their freedom at some point, whereas black people weren't afforded that privilege. And it is a privilege, apparently. But you see what it says here. It lives on at our borders here in this so-called God-fearing Christian nation where if you get to the border and you're not the right color, you can get harassed. You can be imprisoned. Your family can be busted up. You can be abused and you can be turned away. And none of that happens to people who have a different complexion coming from a different part of the world. And the previous president with all his flaws, he made it clear where the areas and nations where he wants people to come here from, to immigrate from. And it's not any place with dark skin, with people with dark skin. And again, that's in this God, so-called God-fearing Christian nation. Uh, but it's not what this verse is telling you to do. It's saying to remember where you came from. Verse 10, six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. So now it's talking about uh, 
uh, rest and the Sabbath and that idea of not just working yourself to death and focusing on work and uh, financial gain, whether it's for yourself or for your slave owner, your master, it's to make sure you have at least some rest in your life. And uh, right now it's talking about even giving the land rest. Um, But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner, you should do with your vineyard and your olive grove. So we know this isn't adhered to at all in America. Uh, it's instead, profit is the bottom line. That if you have to sow the land and uh, reap it once, or if you can, twice in a year, then do it. If you can feed the animals and plump them up, even with hormones or whatever, to make their increase larger, they do it. And it's the same thing, uh, what it's talking about here, that you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to allow that Sabbath, that rest, not to just be for people, but also for your land. And it's for a purpose because enough is enough and too much is foolish. So if you have enough to get you through those six years, why would you let the poor of your people starve and go without if you have more than enough for those six years and then have enough in the seventh year? It's saying, let them have it. Let let there be enough for all. Let there be justice for all. We know that's not the case. We know people don't do this, as far as I can tell, anywhere in the world, but absolutely not in America. It's profit, profit, profit all you can. Verse 12, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So it's saying here, it's saying female servant, um, not slave, but I mean, it seems in this instance, it's not clear whether it is talking about a servant as like an employee or a slave. Um, but if you're if you're having to be ordered to give them rest, it seems almost certain it's talking about slaves. It's not talking about servants or employees because employees, at least in modern times, get that rest because of laws that have changed over the years, decades ago. But otherwise, it was the same thing. And even with children, work them to the bone to get every ounce of uh, uh profit you can out of them. But this verse is telling you not to do that, to let there be work those six days, but to rest one day a week, at least that one day a week to remember to rest. And it's uh, here it's saying rest, but uh, in other passages, it makes it clear that that seventh day is supposed to be rest and also basically chilling with God, focusing on that relationship, feeding that, working on that that that's the day to work on that. And that's whether it's Sunday, whether it's Saturday, whether it's Wednesday, whatever day it is, one day out of the week should be dedicated to rest and not pursuing what the Bible calls mammon or financial gain. Um, And it's so that you can be refreshed so that you aren't just working your finger to the bone, fingers to the bone, uh, all the way your whole life till you die. Remember, there is some rest. Let people have some rest. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So we know this also is ignored in modern times because I've said it before when we read before 
the days of the week themselves are named after other so-called gods. So why in the world, how in the world are people in the world adhering to this if they're even saying the days of the week? That's breaking this commandment right there, right now. So if you're going to be of the orthodoxy, keeping things straight, then you can't even say the days of the week, according to this verse, if you're trying to live by the Old Testament and the New, which a lot of thumpers say they're doing, but they aren't doing it at all. Because if you are, then you can't even say the days of the week because that's breaking this commandment, this law, this ordinance, this this statute. Um, Let's see. Sorry, I got away from the verse. Um, but it's letting us know to be circumspect. That means be thorough about it. Make sure you don't miss a beat of what's being told us to do here. Verse 14. Three times you shall keep the feast a feast to me in the year. So this is talking about uh, feasts, festivals, what we call in modern times holidays. Three holy holidays. 15. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. So uh, this is what we call in modern times the Passover, um, the feast of unleavened bread. It's the festival, the holiday of Passover, of remembering where you came from, remembering your roots, not becoming a token and selling out yourself to appease the people in power, but instead to remember your roots. Don't forget where you came from. And remember, you were slaves too. So is it right to mistreat slaves? Is it right to mistreat black people when you're in that same position yourself? Your own people were in that same position yourself not that long ago? And while we're on that subject, not every white person uh, was a slave owner or uh, uh, okay with slavery. In fact, the Irish people, historically, uh, many of them were slaves themselves, so took part in the whole overturning of slavery because they knew the feeling. They knew how it was to be mistreated and treated like property. So a lot of Irish people don't fall into these things, at least Historically, a lot of people now, again, like to assimilate with the people in power and forget where they came from because it will line their pockets. But it's not good. It's not good, even according to the Old Testament. But it's telling us here to remember that Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, and it says to not to appear before me empty, meaning uh, show up and bring a sacrifice with you animal sacrifice that is verse 16 and the feast of harvest the first fruits of your labors which you've sown in the field and the feast of end gathering at the end of the year when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field so other um holidays can uh seem to me to be and uh scholars believe are uh this are uh, represent these same festivals They've just been morphed into and absorbed by other religions and given other names like Halloween, um, Samhain, the festival of the um, harvest and all of that. They're really all pointing back to the same thing. Rejoicing because you have a harvest. That means you aren't going to starve and have food through the winter and the harvest of in gathering where you go out there and collect it all. 
I'm sorry, the Feast of Ingathering. So basically celebrating the fact that you're going to have food to eat through the winter. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. So we've said a bunch of times how the Old Testament, particular the whole Bible, but except for the red letters of what Jesus has to say, is extremely patriarchal, extremely sexist in plain English, where it... uh pays close attention to what's happening with the males, with the men. And we've read so far, the women, the females get treated as property, not like property, as property. They're owned, they're passed on, they're given away and all of that. And that lives on in modern times when you give the bride away. It's being given away because she's considered property historically. Not that I agree with it, just telling you that's how it is. Now it's being now uh, this verse is saying three times a year, those three holidays are here to celebrate and uh, appear before God. The men are verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall you nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. So um, this leavened bread um, has to do again with the Passover ceremony, the Passover uh, event where they didn't have time to let the bread rise. So no yeast, no baking soda, no salt, none of that to make the dough rise, no egg whites to make the bread rise, none of that, no leavening, because it's to remember, commemorate that you were delivered from the slavery. It took 400 years to move out of that area. Not that they were slaves that whole time, but it took at least one was though part of the time from the beginning, Joseph, started as a slave and ended up not as a slave but the people ended up not as slaves and ended up becoming slaves over the course of those four centuries four plus centuries so that's what the leavening has to do with and the whole fat of the offering it's not clear why but it seems the lord of the old testament loves the fat and this isn't the only time that making sure you offer fat with their offering is um prescribed it's required of um of you when you make the sacrifice and one last thing jesus doesn't call for any of this so if you're a person thumping your bible saying oh no you have to live by the old testament and the new how can you are you doing all these things are you making these sacrifices are you showing up with your animals for the sacrifices those three times a year if you're not then you're not living by it and it's hypocritical to say you are if you're not Verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So let's take that piece by piece. It's saying the first of your first fruits. So that means your increase. And it's saying of your land, and that's because this is an agricultural society at this time. Um, and this even, gets, if you're going to um, interpret it strictly as it's written, then you don't have to worry about this if you're not a farmer, if you're not in agriculture, if you don't have any produce of the land, then you can skip over this. But if you're going to interpret it figuratively, like churches do in modern times, then it means the first of your first fruits, the first of your increase. It's talking about a tithe. It's talking about making sure you give the first of your increase to the Lord, make an offering of it. Um, but if you're going to interpret it strictly, like I said, then it's just talking about agriculturally. The, your first crops are to be dedicated to the Lord. In other words, given to the religion, given to the religious leaders, uh, handed over to 
the religious authorities. Um, and again, this seems to me to be, just like we read in the last chapter, the starting of the setup of religion for these people to um, make sure you take care of the religious leaders, make sure you give, and make sure you follow whatever it is they tell you to do, even if they're not following it. And then part about you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. It um, seems to me it's talking about animal cruelty and just uh, inhumane behavior. Uh, that it, And uh, this is what's part of why it's, I think why it's considered not kosher to eat a steak with butter, for instance, because you're, um, uh, you, you're, you're, what is it? You're using what sustains the life, the milk, which makes butter to, um, kill, or, uh, in this case, the same boil the young goat, uh, to, you're using what sustains its life to, uh, prepare it for food, to, it's cruel to use what they would use to to live to kill them. Basically, I, I'm not sure if that's real clear. I'm saying it, but I think it makes sense that it's it's cruel. Um, verse twenty. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I've prepared. So, angel here is being capitalized. So it seems it's talking about uh, God uh, Almighty as the angel, but it's not. Instead, it's saying an angel is being sent before you. It seems to me what it's saying is the presence of God will go along with them in these ways as they go um, to guide them. Um, and it's saying in the form of an angel, um, which sort of uh, buttresses what Jesus says. You haven't heard no one's heard God's voice at any time or seen his form. And in other places in the New Testament says, um, um, uh, basically the same thing, that no one has seen God at any time. So these different uh, narratives of people interacting with God, sitting down to eat with God, getting commands from God, it doesn't match with what the New Testament says uh, and particularly what Jesus says. But we'll go on reading what it says that they're going to have an angel going before them as guidance. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So again, it seems uh, an angel's being sent before them to go along with them and guide and keep them in the way they're supposed to go. And that they're supposed to adhere to what the angel commands them. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So let's not read over that, that even this uh, command, this promise, this blessed assurance is contingent on obedience. So if you're not obedient, then it seems to me you're not going to have these protections. You're not going to have uh, the defense uh, against your enemies and your adversaries. But you will if you're obedient. And we know from the Old Testament, the people were anything but obedient again and again, falling away from the different commands, even these commands that are being given to them. Um, so if that's the case, then what sense does it make to say that the promised land still belongs to them if they weren't obedient in keeping it? Verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you in 
to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So all those people are the people who are occupying the land at that time already. Sort of like the same way the Native Americans occupied America uh, before the uh, colonizers arrived and took it. Uh, it's the same narrative. It's the same thing. Um, it's the same story that people are being guided to this other land under the uh, belief that it's God leading them to it and that it'll be theirs if they're obedient. And yet they weren't obedient and lost it. You see, America hasn't been obedient, even though they've marched in with the same stuff, uh, claiming it as their own and that God's providence gave it to them. Uh, Yet they haven't been obedient to God at all. And we've went over how they haven't been obedient again and again and again, beginning with the treatment of slaves. Verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So it's saying here, don't intermingle with their other religions. I'm paraphrasing, but that seems to me to be what it's saying. And God's here is is a lowercase. So it's not talking about God Almighty, but it is talking about the entities, deities, and uh, so-called gods that people will worship, are worshiping at that time, and giving the command not to intermingle with them. Don't start doing what they do as far as their forms of worship. And like I said just now, we're going to read further as you read into the Old Testament. People didn't stick with that either. They adopted the worship of those other gods. It's called idolatry when you do that. And it's saying to completely break down their sacred pillars. So um, we know that it hasn't, didn't, it wasn't adhered to either because they kept the pillars. And we saw that even already in Genesis where the so-called holy family, the patriarchs, uh, had their idols among them of the people who are around them. And these sacred pillars, it seems for some reason, and I think it goes back to patriarchy and and holding up men, males, as the the um, the the human form of God, where these sacred pillars come in, because just like the Washington Monument and totem poles, phallic symbols, symbols of a penis, hard and erect, seem to be a very popular sign of um of worship a thing of worship in the form of these poles uh for whatever reason it seems to me again it's patriarchy but um it, it goes way 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 back it's nothing new and it's nothing um it hasn't gone away like i said the washington monument is the same thing it's a phallic symbol Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. So it seems that this verse is saying if you're obedient in serving the Lord with these different uh, ordinances, then the sicknesses and the diseases will be avoided and blessings instead will ensue. like we say in modern times, saying grace over your bread and your water, over your food, over your drink, um, that you'll have that grace in serving the Lord if you are circumspect about following these different ordinances, which we've said again and again, 
people have not done and people still don't do them. Even if they call themselves uh, holy and righteous and following the Old Testament and the New, you can't do both and uh, not be a hypocrite because the things Jesus says contradicts and I believe completes the um, fulfills the commandments of the Old Testament that we're not supposed to do all of these different things that the people at that time are ordered to do. And maybe that's because they're ordered to do that so that the standards can be maintained up until Jesus does come to fulfill and complete uh, and put a period on these um, different ordinances and things. Verse 26, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So that's saying a couple of things there in obedience that um, if you're obedient as a people, then no one in the people will suffer miscarriages or be barren, not able to have any children. People will be fruitful and multiply if they're obedient. And we know, again, people haven't been obedient to these things. And in modern times, you really it'd be tough to be obedient to all these things because we know that there are many blood-borne diseases so if you're handling all that blood and uh, and 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 these other commandments is very likely that you're going to be you're going to catch something else you may not miscarry or be barren but you almost certainly catch some other disease uh something else terrible uh, uh that you don't want but it's saying here in obedience you won't suffer those things and you'll, your life will be uh, will live out all your days. They won't be cut short, which um, seems to me points to uh, another uh, idea that even Jesus uh, talks about when he gives us the so-called Lord's Prayer. When it says, lead us not into, tempta- into temptation. Why would you need to pray for God not to lead you into, into temptation if the path of temptation isn't already there. So it seems to me those paths are already there and you're praying not to be led into them because you know they're there. Similarly, uh, what it's saying here, uh, the number of your days, it's already predetermined where you may have a long life, but you may step off that path and go on to another one that ends your life, shortens your life, whether it be you catch a disease that shortens your life or you decide to jump off a building to shorten your life. So you choose a different path, even though that other path of life is already laid out there for you. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So it seems that's another promise for the obedience of keeping all these ordinances that your enemies will quake in fear and run from you and um, instead not and not defeat you. Um, but we know, again, the people weren't obedient to these things and the land they were promised, they lost. Verse 28, and I will send hornets before you, which dry, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. Um, so some of these places, these people have historical, these are historic, have historical references, the Canaanites and Hittites for sure. Um, but probably Hivites also, I'm sure there's other ways you can research and find out more about them. But what it's saying here is uh, hornets. It may be talking about physical hornets, like actual literal hornets, like bees going before them. 
to terrorize the people and make them move. But I think what it's talking about is figurative, just like in Revelation where it talks about the locust army that's used by God, we'll just say God since that's what it says, or the Lord, um, to drive people out or to move people or cajole or force people to do what's um, in the big picture plan, grand scheme of things to do. So it seems the same. That's what it's talking about, I think. Figurative hornets. It's, it'll send out energies like beast, the beast, to um, take care of business and drive out the enemy, uh, the occupiers, the people who were there before you, just like the Native Americans were. Verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So if this is God Almighty talking, why that? Why not just snap a finger and dry up all the enemies and let the people go in and take over the land and set up a righteous, holy government of people who will follow the Lord because they saw the Lord deliver them from slavery? Why not do it that way? Why instead let it be gradual where people can fall in and out of faith and in and out of belief and in and out of um, following instead of just doing it at once and taking care of it? It seems to me it goes to uh, what scholars believe happened with the um, with the Bible and with the people of the Bible that their um, history, their narrative was woven into other uh, cultures, particularly when they were enslaved or captured um, by other nations after as a result of war, for instance, Babylon or Assyria, for instance, that while they were there, and writing down their own narratives and making sure it survived the, the enslavement, the people who uh, were enslaving them added their two cents. But not only that, they also went back as they're copying it and par- carrying it forward, went back and edited and added their own two cents so that it's not a, 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 a it's so that it's perverted. And I don't mean that as a peeping Tom perverted, but I mean that is in it's tainted, it's changed from what it originally was. Um, because again, why would you do all that instead of just driving them out and then telling the beast not to um, overtake the people who you just rescued from slavery? But uh, that seems to me to be looking back and editing this verse. And a lot of the Old Testament seems to fall under that category of how it got in there but let's just keep reading verse 30 little by little i will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land so rather than an instantaneous victory over all those people and taking over the land and controlling the animals so that they don't overtake the people instead it seems little by little is the is the course that the people are being um uh, given and maybe also that would be to test them little by little to see just how faithful or unfaithful they are rather than instant gratification and then also instant unfaithfulness because you got what you wanted so then you turn away from it um maybe that's part of it also maybe but it's saying little by little instead verse 31 and i will set your bounds from the red sea to the sea Philistia, and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. 
and you shall drive them out before you. So this sort of uh, is uh, alludes to the belief in the promised land and that um, it's entitled to be to a certain people because it was promised to them from the Red Sea. That'd be just basically the border of Egypt to uh, the Euphrates and that all that land is the promised land and all of that should belong to a certain people. But again, it's all contingent on obedience. And we know, again, from the all, their own books, from our own record here in the Bible, that the people weren't obedient. And this isn't condemning any one people or religion at all, but it's talking about the people who were rescued from the slavery and what they're supposed to do in being obedient to um, the entity, deity that delivered them. Um, and that it's contingent on that same obedience to get the people to be driven out from before you and occupy the land. And we know from the historical record of the Bible anyway, that the people weren't obedient and lost possession of the land. Verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. So can you really make a covenant with a fable? If their gods don't even exist, how can you make a covenant with them? It seems to me this is at least more literary evidence that the people engaged in, uh, or the people and the gods uh, mentioned in the Old Testament were entities that people actually worshipped and followed and believed in, maybe even existed. But uh, Because why would the Almighty God even acknowledge them as real, as being gods? Like it says in the Proverbs, what is the chaff to the wheat? What is what's valuable to what's invaluable? And what's invaluable means nothing to what's valuable. What does counterfeit money mean to an, uh, a, a genuine Benjamin? It means nothing. So similarly, why would um, fake gods or uh, idols mean anything to the real and living God, the almighty God? Um, why? Uh, but you see, that's what's being said here. Don't make covenants with those gods. If they don't exist, if they're not real, how can you? But what it's saying here is don't do it anyway. Don't get involved in that religion, in other religions, in, other, in the way other people worship the entities they call God. Verse 33, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So snare being a trap. And uh, serving their gods is exactly what they did, serving other gods. And you don't have to take my word for it. As we read through the Old Testament, God willing, you'll see again and again and again, the people fell into what's called idolatry, where you do serve other gods. You do make sacrifices, animal sacrifices, human sacrifices to other entities identified as God. And then all of that is forbidden according to this verse, but even... Uh, according to this chapter, you're not even supposed to mention their names. But like we already said, the days of the week contain the names of other so-called gods. So if you're even saying the days of the week, you're offending in uh, this chapter's orders, this chapter's commandments. And um, it's saying it's a snare to you if you do. And that it's also sin. Um, and that um, you're not supposed to do it. 
And that's the command given to the people just rescued from slavery um, in Africa as they enter uh, the so-called promised land. That actually is the end of this chapter. I appreciate you checking it out with me. And as always, I hope it was a blessing for you. We do the Old Testament readings on Mondays and Wednesdays and uh, focus on what Jesus had to say to Red Letters on Saturdays. You can hear the past, the past readings on this platform uh, while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my platform, hungtgirl.com, and see the, hear, hear and see the um, past readings of the Naked Truth there. They're generally on the spirit and soul pages, but I try to let that part of me shine through every part of me. So the body, mind, spirit, and soul will hopefully enlighten you as to what, um, how I try to walk the walk, not just talk the talk as far as red letter Christianity goes. You can get a membership, make a donation, or just enjoy the free content. All of the above are very much appreciated. I thank you for that. Click on the photos, they're, vid they're free videos, and uh, click on the links. They'll take you to more. Stay safe in the meantime. Stay safe even beyond that. And love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that the command? God bless you. Thanks again and peace to you. See you next time.